Hey there, welcome to the Kim Constable podcast. Nobody cares, work harder. I definitely was working hard last week, hence why we did not have a podcast episode to bring you. I do apologize profusely about that, but let me tell you what's happening, which is really exciting. We are getting ready to launch the Sculpted Vegan app, the first vegan fitness app in the world. Nothing like this exists in the App Store or in Google Play or whatever it is they use in Android. Nothing like this exists. We are the first to the market. We're launching November 1st. It is going to be so exciting and I cannot wait to unleash this onto you. We've literally been working on this app now for Oh, nine months. And um, as you all know, I actually persuaded the guy who I had to, who I got to build the app. I persuaded him to come on board full time as my chief technology officer. And he has brought another master coder on with him, Gavin, who starts next week. Welcome, Gavin. I know you listen to the podcast sometimes. So our whole tech team is really starting to expand. And this app is going to absolutely be a game changer. And the most exciting thing about the app actually is that we are, I think, going to be offering a subscription service. So programs, you're going to be able to um, obviously have all the programs that you've purchased there in the past on the app, but you are also going to be able to pay a monthly or an annual subscription and get access to all Sculpted Vegan programs. Well, actually not all Sculpted Vegan programs because all the new ones that we release, the brand new ones that have competitions and stuff like the Butt Camp or the new Menopause program launching next year and the Sculpted Shred, they are not going to be under the subscription um, until much later on, but um, you're going to be able to get access to everything else, well, nearly everything else almost everything else through the app for a very low monthly fee, I think of about $15. So it's going to be an absolute game changer and I really cannot wait to bring it to you. So look out for that November 1st. It's going to be in the App Store and uh, on Android. I think it's Google Play. I think you download apps from Android. Uh, you're going to be able to download it, log in. You're going to get a seven-day free trial and it's going to be wonderful. And I can't wait for you to tell me um, all about it and let me know how you're finding it. Let me tell you what else I missed actually at the start of this month uh, because I'm really bad at this. I apologize. I forgot to announce September's winner of the podcast giveaway, who is Amanda Durham. Amanda, you chose the eight week abs program, which is an absolutely epic program as your program of choice for leaving a fabulous review on the podcast. Thank you so much. And actually, I don't know whether you guys know this or not, but there's actually two ways that you can win a Sculpted Vegan program any Sculpted Vegan program. And that is by uh, simply responding to the podcast email that we send out every single week. Um, every week we send out to our mailing list an email that details the podcast with a link to listen to it. And in that email, we say at the bottom of it, please hit reply to this email. Let us know what you would love to hear more of on the podcast, which is what shapes the content that I put out. And every single week we choose a winner. Yes, every week we choose a winner from that. Um, and this week, I'm sorry I haven't announced these before. I'll make sure that the team sends them through in future. This week, the winner was Louise Burns and she chose Buns and Guns. So thank you so much, Louise. And those are just done randomly. They are not done from, you know, the best feedback. That's just literally the names pulled out of a hat. So if you want to be in with the chance of winning a Sculpted Vegan program, either leave a review wherever you listen to this and then send me a screen grab on Instagram at The Sculpted Vegan or hit reply to the podcast email that we send out and let us know what you would like to hear more of on the podcast and you could be in with a chance of winning an amazing program. Okay, so I've talked far too long. Let me tell you about my guest this week. My guest, my guest, no, not my guest. My guest is Sal De Stefano. I was about to call him De Stefano, but it's Sal De Stefano. It's an Italian name I found out. 
And now I know why he and I have such an incre- such an incredible rapport and why I love his sense of humor because he's Italian, which means he's European, which means he really has quite a filthy um filthy humor I want to say because his uh, his Instagram stories you should definitely follow on Instagram we have linked to it in the show notes his Instagram stories are absolutely hilarious I steal his memes all the time he really is absolutely hilarious now who is Sal you're probably asking well I first heard about Sal through my very good friend Michaela Peterson who is appearing on the podcast in December I was actually supposed to interview her um today no tomorrow but i had to cancel because she uh, no because it's my son's birthday and uh, bad mama i forgot that it was my son's birthday and i scheduled lots of work stuff that i had to re uh, reschedule so um who is sal well I, f- I found out about him from my good friend michaela peterson he was on michaela's podcast he actually has the world's biggest i want to say fitness podcast mind pump it's actually a top 10 health and fitness and wellness podcast which generates over a million listens every single month with the goal of bringing quality fitness and health information to the masses and to shift the direction of the fitness industry from aesthetic insecurity based on sorry to one based on self-love and self-care and that is what Sal talked a lot about in this interview which I just know you're going to absolutely love he's also the author of the resistance training revolution the new cardio way to burn fat and age-proof your body in only 60 minutes a week doesn't that sound like something that we talk about on this podcast you can tell we had an absolutely fucking epic conversation you are just gonna love everything that he talked about not only is he down to earth the, the advice that he gives makes sense it backs up everything that I always teach here. So I'm not creating an echo chamber. I actually learned quite a, a lot of new things in this podcast or reinforced things that I believe and, and heard in a different way. And I just love this guy, like not in a creepy, you know, sleazy way. I just think he's absolutely epic. So I can't wait for you to listen to this interview. Um, I'm not going to talk anymore. Sal and I do talk for quite a long time. I realized after 60 minutes, I was like, oh crap, I've kept this man talking for ages and I'm sure he's busy and he doesn't want to be here talking to me anymore. So uh, it was a great interview. Um, So go listen to the interview. I hope you enjoy it. And I will talk to you again at the end. Sal DiStefano. No, I'm going to say it wrong again. DiStefano. I was going to say, I have it in my mind now that you're DiStefano, which I'm sure you probably get quite a lot. Do you people butchering your name? Everybody does. I'm used since I was a child. So that's okay. As long as you say Sal, I'm good. Oh, I love it. Is Sal short for anything? Uh, uh, Yeah. So it's Italian. Salvatore. So, which, so I would make my name 10 times more complicated to pronounce. So just... Sal, I've always gone well, by Sal. I'm European, so of course, you know, the accents and I speak French, so it's, uh, I don't speak oh, Italian though, but I have a very good, uh, very good friend who's Italian. Do you speak Italian? I don't. I grew up, uh, I'm, I was born in the States. My parents are both from Sicily, so I actually learned how to speak Sicilian, which is a dialect that very few people speak now, apparently, so... Oh, I didn't realize you were Italian. So there you are. You're on something new. Well, actually, that was actually going to be my first question to you was, well, I was going to say you have one of the top um, fitness, the top fitness podcast in the world. Is that correct? Yeah, we're we're the top in the world in fitness and in health. We're typically ranked between uh, top five or top 10. So health is a much broader category. Yes, it is. Wow, that's amazing. Well, I'll tell you how I found you because you're probably like, how did this chick like come across me on Instagram? But they just suddenly started DMing you and you're probably like, hey, is this crazy bird? But um, a very good friend of mine is Michaela Peterson. She and oh, I are, right. yes, Michaela and I have been friends for um, very weirdly 
for about three years. I mean, very, very close friends. And people are always like, you know, it's like the vegan and the carnivore. Um, and I every time I comment on her on her Facebook page, people are like, you know, that, the, the carnivores can be just as nasty as the vegans, because let me tell you, the vegans can be seriously nasty. And then I get all this abuse, like, what the fuck are you doing here? You know, you fucking preachy vegans piss off. I'm like, no, seriously, I come in peace. You know, it's like yeah. we're all friends here. But Michaela, I saw had you on her podcast and anyone who Michaela has on her podcast, I'm like, oh, would they be good for my podcast? So I'm always creeping on her guests. And then whenever I checked you out and I checked out your podcast, I was like, ah, this guy seems like he knows his stuff. I'm going to invite him to be on. And here we are after many months of uh, negotiating. So thank you so much for agreeing to be here. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me on. I love your stuff. So I, I wasn't familiar until you DM me and then I looked at your stuff and I love the way you present your information. Um, and what you said uh, just you know a few seconds ago is really really important. You know, those of us who've been in the health space for as long as you know, as long as I have, I've been for over a couple decades, you you notice a, a massive individual variance with people in terms of how what makes them healthy. And it could be for some people vegan. It could be carnivore. You could have uh, you know, and, and it could be many reasons why it makes someone healthy from their moral standpoint, quality of life, the way their body reacts. And this is just something if you do fitness long enough start to figure this out, that there are some general rules, but there's a lot of variance from person to person in terms of what really makes somebody healthy. It's so true. People say to me all the time, um, oh, you know, why long have you been vegan for? And I say, oh, you know, about vegetarian for kind of 20 years, vegan for seven years. And they go, did you notice a massive difference when you went vegan? I'm like, no, not really. And they're like, did you notice your hair was th th thicker and your nails and your skin and your energy? No, no, not so much. And they're like, really? Like the one you to go, you know, yes, I just, my, everything about my whole life improved. And I made like, you know, millions of dollars and you're like, no, not really. Just stopped eating animals. Works for me. doesn't work for some other people. You know, we're all just here doing the best that we can. And I'm definitely one of those kinds of vegans, but we're not here to talk about me. Sal, um, I have to tell you, I have had a very, a very hard time researching you because you're a very private person. And I know that my, uh, uh, my assistant was, I, I saw on Messenger, I don't know why I was in Messenger the other day, and she was like creeping on your Instagram or she was on your Facebook page trying to get information about you to send me through. She always sends me through like a, a report or like a, a bio on people who I'm interviewing. And she'd sent you a message and you were like, oh, hey, Kim. She was like, oh, I'm really sorry. It's Susie. I was just here looking for information. So is that intentional that you don't, you don't put a lot of yourself out there? Yeah, absolutely. It's actually the least favorite thing about what I do is the the whole public aspect. I mean, I love helping people. That's why I've been in fitness for as long as I have. And I love getting feedback from people that I'm providing them value. It makes uh, it's a tremendous source of meaning for me and purpose. But the whole like, you know, people know me and I don't know them. And, you know, I have children and and I don't want them to be out there being known for being you know, someone's kid and all that stuff. And so I, I do, I am relatively private, but I am quite open on my podcast. So if you listen to my podcast, I'll tell stories and I'll talk about my life and stuff like that. But, uh, but otherwise I am, I'm very private. So it's a, it's an interesting, it's a weird feeling like on one end, you know, we watch the podcast grow and our, our media side grow. And then the other hand, you know, I don't want people to, I, I, I feel strange. I, that's, that's the best way to put it. It's, it's a, it's a conflicting feeling, I guess. Yeah, no, I understand. I, 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 people always think that they know me because I'm so public and I have the company and the Instagram, whatever. But I always say like the people who know me, I could count on one hand, like literally who know me, everybody thinks they know me, but they just know the me that I present to the world. So I totally get that. But I am curious, tell me, um, if you don't mind, I usually like to ask my guests a little bit about themselves, you know, where they grew up, what their childhood was like. Can you share a little bit about that with us? Yes. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I'm the son of uh, immigrants, poor immigrants. So my my both of my parents, uh, very little education, came to America, and were, through hard work, provided a wonderful middle class life for myself and my three siblings. Uh, I fell in love with fitness at a very young age. So as a child growing up, I was very skinny, not very athletic. My father's very athletic, very strong, made me feel a bit insecure. By the time I was 14, I started to lift weights to change my body, improve my image. And I'm the kind of person that when I'm into something, I'm really into, I'm either really into something or I could care less. And I got really into how the body changes and adapts and resistance training and supplements. And so, you know, I was a 14 year old kid having my mom, you know, take, drive me to the library so I could read about, you know, chemistry and how to take the right supplements. And I was reading Soviet studies on exercise. And I mean, this is a very young age and I had all the magazines and all the books and I just absolutely fell in love with it. By the time I was 18, I was uh, able to work in a gym over here. You can't be a personal trainer unless you're 18. As soon as I turned 18, walked into a gym, became a trainer and just, it was the first time in my life I'd ever done something where I felt like this is what I was supposed to do and uh, became very successful, very quick. Uh, within four months, I was managing the fitness department. And by the time I was 19, I was a general manager of big box gyms. So over here, 24 hour fitness, especially at that time, the largest fitness organization in terms of gyms in the world. And I was grand opening their clubs uh, at a very young age and just absolutely loving it. By the time I was 22, I went off on my own, started my own wellness facility that had, it was a small facility. We had personal training, massage therapy, acupuncture, hormone and gut testing. Um, and uh, I loved it. And I did that up until uh, I started Mind Pump uh, with my partners, which was about seven years ago. So I did, I did the wellness studio for probably about 15 years or so. Um, and so it's always been in the space, always absolutely loved it, always trying to help people. And of course, in that process, learned quite a bit. As you probably already know, doing this for so long, there's it's probably the most unassuming, but one of the most powerful self-improvement, I guess, vehicles I could think of. So for me, I had to tackle my own you know, self-image and insecurities. And I had to understand that health was probably more important than the way I looked, especially when my health started to go south because I was so focused on my appearance. I developed gut issues and I had to, a year of just trying to fix that. And I started to learn the wellness side. So I went from being just this fitness trainer who understood how to build muscle and burn body fat to understanding that wellness was intricately tied to all of that. And it really developed the voice that I have now um, on the podcast. So that's kind of the short, the short story of, uh, of all of it. Were you always into wellness or did it take something to happen to, to cause that, to add that into the muscle building physique side of it? Oh yeah. So I respected it um, and valued it for, for clients. I think what you'll find with a lot of coaches and trainers is we tend to be better coaches and trainers for our clients than to be ourselves. Uh, so we tend to be smarter with them and more objective. And then with ourselves, our insecurities tend to creep in and we tend to think that we're different somehow and, and do things that we would never have our clients do. And so I was always, I always valued it, which is why when I opened my wellness studio, I had wellness people in there, like gut testing, hormone testing, acupuncture. But for me, I was just, you know, lift weights, eat the right macros, get shredded, get big, whatever. And I did that for a long time. And uh, in my early thirties, my health rebelled. Um, I developed severe gut issues and went to doctors, couldn't figure out what was going on. I thought I had an autoimmune issue at one point, lost a lot of muscle, a lot of weight. And I was forced 
into this situation where I had to figure out what was going on and nothing I, I knew would help. I thought I was eating healthy. I thought I was doing everything right. And so I, I engaged with my wellness um, professionals that worked in my facility. I sat down with them and I said, look, I can't figure this out. I'll do whatever you tell me. I'm, I'm done. I can't, I can't fix this. And so I changed everything. And I had to mentally change also. I had to change my, my psyche a bit. And so I stopped looking in the mirror. I stopped weighing myself. I stopped really paying attention to how much weight I could lift. And I focused entirely on my health and well-being. So my workout volume went down considerably. I improved my sleeping habits. Uh, my supplements changed. I started treating uh, myself for gut issues. And for about a year, I did this and focused entirely on health. At the end of that year, I had this kind of this moment that was uh, quite pivotal where you know, I was at a friend's house and we were, it was a pool party. And I went to the bathroom at one point and was washing my hands and there were a few mirrors and I caught a glimpse of a mirror that was reflected off another mirror that was kind of a reflection of myself from an angle that I don't, don't normally see. So for a split second, it was like I was looking at someone else. Mm -hmm. And so I allowed myself to see my, to really look at my, my body, which I had really avoided for a full year. And I realized that I looked better than I ever had before. And I kind of had this epiphany that, you know, aesthetics really does follow good health. But if you constantly focus on aesthetics, then you'll eventually lose your health. And then eventually the health, your aesthetics will also start to decline. And so it really changed and transformed how I approach it for myself and how I communicate, you know, health and fitness to people. Because mainly, I mean, the truth is most people start working out or most people start watching their diet, not for health reasons specifically, but rather because I want to look better. That's always the main driver. And, you know, as a, as a trainer, it was always like, how can I, how can I get this person to develop these lifelong good habits with nutrition and exercise? And the way you do that is by getting them to focus on their health rather than their looks. But that's a really hard thing to do. Um, especially when somebody, I mean, they don't care, you know, especially if you're talking to a 20 something year old person, like, oh yeah, I get that. I don't care. I just want to look good. And so I developed kind of this way of communicating it, which I think is very effective, which is, again, if you focus on your health, you will look good. Healthy looks good always, especially you know, when, I'm, when I say healthy, I mean, in the truest sense, physical, mental well-being, you will look good. But if you always focus on your looks, oftentimes that starts to be detrimental to your health as you know, with either overtraining or, you know, in extreme cases, anabolic steroids or drugs or starving yourself. And then when that, when your health starts to suffer, so does your looks, and then you're in a really bad situation. And so um, it made a huge difference, made a huge impact, I guess, in, in how I approach things. I think sometimes we forget, do you agree, that we are whole human beings? We're not just the physical, we're the physical, the emotional, the thought, the three of them, you know, I call it the PET, um, and, and the physical, emotional, and thought. And sometimes like, those three things have to come together to create a whole person and to really yes. integrate fitness into your life. I always say to people, it's easy to lose the first 30 pounds. Losing the first 30 pounds is easy. Keeping it off, that's the hard part. Correct. And I see that a lot in my programs that we sell. You know, we sell a lot of shred programs and people are always, you know, people who love to criticize me, of which there are many, um, say, you know, oh, she's, you know, causing eating disorders. And she's like, honestly, I'm actually, I'm actually banned. <laughs> I'm banned in vegan bodybuilding groups. Like they, I'm not banned personally, but people aren't allowed to mention the Sculpted Vegan and some of the largest vegan bodybuilding groups that exist on Facebook because, well, obviously I'm 
far too successful for them, but um, modest as well. <laughs> but <laughs> they, um, but but because of that, because they love to say I cause all these eating disorders, but I always say it's a Trojan. It's actually a Trojan horse marketing strategy. We call it, and that's not my term. It's actually Marie Forleo, who's a great marketer. She says you sell them what they want, but give them what they need. And what I find when people purchase my shred program is whether it's a one week shred or a four week shred or an eight week shred, or you know, and then sometimes people say, oh, this isn't sustainable. You know, after four weeks, I'm like, of course it's not. It's a diet. You're supposed to do it for four weeks and then you're supposed to do something else. You're not supposed to sustain this over the long term. It's a short, hard diet, but it's a way to get people into fitness, to give them some kind of success, to motivate them to keep going. And I know that you're big into motivation. I've heard you talk about the skill of discipline before. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, there's a, uh, I think probably one of the most damaging approaches to exercise uh, or health or fitness or, you know, permanent results. Like you mentioned, it's so easy to lose 30 pounds, but so hard to keep it off. That's 100% correct. We don't have a weight loss issue in modern societies. We have a keep weight off issue. I mean, hundreds of millions of people lose weight every single year, and there's something like a 90% fail rate. So basically, everything that people are doing uh, is totally not working. And one of the reasons, I would say one of the main reasons that people fail is because we rely on the feeling of motivation. We want this feeling of motivation and we constantly seeking it and we fall in love with it and we worship it because when we're motivated, everything's easy. I mean, this is true for all of life. Like if you're motivated to have a clean house, your house is going to be clean. If you're motivated to go to school and study hard, well, that's what's going to happen. So of course we're going to chase that feeling, but uh, feelings are, are fleeting. We're humans, we're complex and you're going to have other feelings. And what happens when you fall in love with motivation and you rely on motivation is when that feeling inevitably changes and goes away, well, now you're done. Now you have nothing, you're left with nothing to keep you consistent, to keep you moving uh, forward. Um, so it's a terrible approach. It's a terrible strategy. Now, the fitness industry does a great job of preying on motivation. That's what they focus on, like getting you hyped and you got fitness media and you know urban cowboy hip hop workout classes and entertainment. And this is what's going to get you, you know, cru- you know, you're going to crush in 30 days for this. And they do that great. Uh, but it's a, it's a terrible long-term approach. So what you want to do is you want to, you want to develop a way to stay consistent through all the different ways you're going to feel in your life. And the best way to do that really is to, and from, from my uh, point of view, or at least my opinion is to develop a, the skill of discipline. So discipline says, uh, I do this if I'm tired, or I do this if I'm not motivated, or I do this when I'm motivated. Like, no matter what, this is what I do. Now, that sounds easy. So someone might be listening and think, well, what does that look like? How do I, how do, I do that? Well, discipline is not a feeling like motivation. It's a skill. And like any skill, you can develop it. And how do you develop any skill? You start off very slow, and you practice until you get really good at small pieces of that skill. And then you move on to larger pieces until you start to master whatever skill you're trying to develop. So what does that look like for discipline? The starting point is very different from person to person. What you want to do is you want to start with a step, a first step that is realistic for you long-term, but also simultaneously somewhat challenging. So why, why both of those? Well, it needs to be realistic because if you have a lot of failures, you're going to stop. We're, we're not very good at failing all the time. Eventually, we give up, right? So you want to do something that, you, that you, you know is realistic, 
but also somewhat challenging. Why somewhat challenging? It has to mean something. There has to be a bit of meaning to it. Otherwise, if it's too easy, then it doesn't really mean much to you. So start with a small step that is realistic, yet challenging. Stick to that. Once that becomes a habit, once that becomes something that is now something that you don't have to stress about, no longer challenging, but you see value in it and something you do on a regular basis, then you take the next step. And this is a this success, or at least this consistency starts to progress over time. You start to see this small step start to become bigger steps. And over a period of time, you make tremendous uh, progress, incredible progress. Now, the, the question that I get from people often is, well, how do I pick that first step? Put yourself in an unmotivated state of mind before you make that decision. So what you don't want to do is when you're hyped, like if I ask somebody that's super motivated, what's a small step you can take? It's always way bigger than, the, than what's realistic. You know, oh, you know, I think I could do four days a week of exercise. And I'll say, well, how many days a week have you been doing for the last three years? Zero. Oh, that's probably too big of a step. What would your unmotivated self say? Right? right. Probably one. Great. Let's start right there. And let's do that consistently. And to give you an example, Kim, you know, I've had clients where I'm trying to get them to change eating habits, for example. Like I have one, I'll, I'll use one example. So this, this woman comes up often for me because she was such an extreme example, but she also had tremendous success down the road. She absolutely could not stand vegetables at all. And most of her diet was heavily processed foods. Okay. So her, her you know, breakfast consisted of a diet Coke and a donut. And then for lunch, it was like hot pockets and another diet Coke. I mean, it was just the worst diet you've ever seen in your entire life. And so I had to start her off very slowly. The first step for her, with her nutrition was one glass of water a day. The next step for nutrition was one piece of broccoli once a day. And we eventually got her to the point to where her diet, she got, she had a very healthy diet, became very consistent with her exercise. And three years later, she became a personal trainer. Now this was a woman that when she hired me, she literally said to me, I will not work out more than one day a week and don't even touch my nutrition. Like I'm just going to eat the way I, I'm going to eat and that's it. And so, and I let her start where she was and we worked out and I knew eventually if I did a good job, she would ask me more questions, but that's just one example. Now, a lot of people, when they hear that, they think, well, I want to get there faster. I want to get the results quicker. And I get that, right? I get that. But you, but it's, it's, it's not going to be permanent. Although the results may not happen overnight, their, your chances of long-term success are far more permanent, which is very important. You want, you obviously nobody wants to get in shape and, and get out of shape. You want to stay there forever, but also it happens a lot faster than you think. It's not, it can definitely take time, but it happens a lot faster than you think. I mean, if you, if you think of two parallel lines and you move one, one degree, you know, if I look at them here, they almost look parallel, but you follow those down for a couple miles and the distance between the two are, are tremendous. So it may seem like it's going to take a lot longer and it, it will when you're looking at permanence in terms of success, but this is how, this is the only way to get permanent or, or at least I should say long-term sustainable results. There is one other way, and I do want to be fair. Mm -hmm. There is one other way you can achieve long-term uh, permanent results. And that's with an epiphany, which if you're going to rely right. on that, forget it. it's not going to happen, but epiphanies are super rare. This is like, I have a heart attack and I go to, you know, and the, and the doctor, you know, after I wake up says you almost died. And then I'm like, that's it. I need to change my life or something like that. So 
very, very rare. Don't depend. The epiphanies aren't going to happen. The long-term developing the skill of discipline approach is really the only way that I've ever had clients get the long-term type of success that we're talking about. Yeah, I love that. I always, it's, you know, discipline will, or motivation will get you going. Discipline will keep you going. It is one thing that I I preach a lot, especially because most of my audience or most of my customers are women aged 40 to 65. And so they they want the quick fix. They want the short-term results. They they think that cardio is going to, you know, get them a, a fantastic body and they don't really just understand what it takes. But I would love to talk a little bit more about that. Um, and get your thoughts on how the fitness industry has changed over the years, especially as it relates to women, because it's very traditionally a male industry. And I find that if you tell a man, you know, if he goes, uh, you can say, well, okay, what do you want? And he says, I want to get as big as I possibly can. I want to build loads of muscle. You go, okay, eat loads of food, lift really heavy weights, do it consistently. He'll go, okay, sure. No problem at all. And he has no problem eating the food. He's no problem lifting the weights. And pretty much they'll stay consistent if you give them the plan. Whereas women go, oh, but I, I don't want to get really bulky. You're like, seriously, sweetheart. I've tried as hard as I possibly can for the last four years to get as big as I possibly can. And if you, you're not even going to put in like a quarter of the effort that I've put in, I can guarantee you, and I'm not huge. So, right. you know, how do you, um, how do you think the fitness industry has changed over the years, especially as it relates to women and women coming into the industry and their beliefs around fitness and training? Yeah. So the roots go back a long ways. Um, originally, it was only men that were supposed to get sweaty and physical. And so that's kind of where it started. Gymnasiums were, that's where the word gym comes from, right? Gymnasiums, at least here in the US, started out as these places where you go and there were rings and, and, and bars that you could use. Eventually, they added dumb, you know, kettlebells. Back then, those were the original dumbbells and barbells and women weren't even allowed in them. Later on, the fitness industry realized that they were missing out on the one of the largest, probably most powerful consumer bases um, you'll find. Like selling mm-hmm. a product to to women is smart because women are great consumers. Men are much more challenging. And so Jim said, "Okay, how do we attract women?" Well, uh, traditionally, like you know, these gyms have been for men. We need to attract them. So so we need to change our verbiage a little bit. So they created words like toned. Toned is an invented word by the fitness industry. Muscles <laughs> don't tone; they build or they shrink. Right. They took dumbbells and made them pink and they wouldn't only, they would only go up to five pounds. I mean, the first gym I ever, I ever managed Kim had a women's only resistance training area and the machines in there were identical to the ones in the men's area. The only difference was the upholstery was pink. So it was like pink, pink colored equipment. So condescending and so ridiculous, <laughs> but it's been con- you know constantly perpetrated that train this way to develop lean sculpted long muscles and you know whatever and so we just just perpetrating this total terrible myth now here's the truth right when it comes to building muscle because i know some women are watching going well i know someone i've seen women on instagram that are really muscular and just look so scary and so masculine i've seen this before and i don't want to look like that there's a couple things that i think people need to realize that there's a spectrum when it comes to muscle building genetics okay so Let's forget muscle building for a second. Let's just use height, how tall people can get, because this one's an easy one to see. There's a spectrum of height. On one end of the spectrum, you have people who are seven feet tall. And on the very, very other end, you have people with, let's say, dwarfism, right? Most people are somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. Okay, now think about everyday life. You know, when you go to the grocery store, when you go shopping, when you're hanging out with your friends, besides going to maybe a professional basketball game, how... Many times in your life, have you seen anyone that was over seven feet tall? 
Never. I don't think I've ever in my life, maybe one time, and I remember it because it stood out. Have I ever seen anyone that's over seven feet tall? Okay. So that's how rare those extreme height genetics are. Extremely rare, right? Extreme muscle building genetics are like that as well. Extremely rare. Most people are somewhere in the middle. Right. Okay. So what does that mean for women? That means a woman can train like a bodybuilder, try to build muscle, and the most she could probably ever accomplish is a very lean, sculpted physique. The kind of body that she wants, that she thinks she'll get through aerobics classes or through cardio is, is, would be like that, right? Mm-hmm. So I like to communicate that because I think women are they're, they're afraid. Here's the other thing. Even if you had those extreme muscle building genetics, which is literally 0.1% of the population, it wouldn't happen overnight anyway. It's not like you'd work out and then wake up the next day, look in the mirror. Oh my gosh, I knew it. You know, I look like Arnold. That's not going <laughs> right. to happen to you. So it's not going to happen. So in that understanding that, what does lifting weights or doing resistance training then do for my body? What it does is it tells you to preserve or build a little bit of lean muscle mass, which gives you sculpt and tone, makes your body firm, and it speeds up your metabolism. This is the most important effect of resistance training is a faster metabolism. Why is this important? Because if you can burn more calories all the time, and when I say all the time, I mean automatically, like sitting here, like talking to you, it will make staying lean so much easier, so much easier. If you could just burn the calories, then eating more doesn't make that big of a difference. In fact, even unhealthy, quote unquote, unhealthy diets, if the calories are low and you're burning more than you're taking in, you negate many of the negative effects. This is why you see those studies that I hate people promote, but there is some truth to them where they show, look at these people, they ate, you know, you know, cupcakes and, you know, and, and, and hot dogs, but it was a low calorie diet, but they still improved their blood lipids. They still looked like they were healthy. Well, yes, because if you eat less calories, it does take care of a lot of it. Now it's, it's not perfect. It's much more complex than that, but just to give people that kind of that, that understanding that a faster metabolism will do that. Now, other forms of exercises of exercise try to get you to burn more calories manually. So now I'm going to go out and I'm going to run. I'm going to cycle. I'm going to swim. I'm going to try and burn more calories on my own. The problem with those forms of exercise is they don't promote muscle building. They don't promote a faster metabolism. And what they do promote is your body getting more efficient at burning calories. So in other words, they will actually teach your body to slow its metabolism down. And there's lots of studies to support this. One of my favorites is a study that was done in Northern Tanzania, where scientists went and studied modern hunter-gatherers. And so these people lived the way that all humans probably lived, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, no electricity, they hunt their food, they gather, they're never sitting, they're always moving. And what they found was that these people actually burned similar amounts of calories to the average Western couch potato. And you think, well, how's that possible? They're moving so much. Well, because evolutionarily speaking, we would never have survived if we were burning, if our bodies allowed us to burn 8,000 calories a day looking for food. We, we would never find that much food in nature. So our bodies adapted and slowed down. And that's what happens with lots of cardio, for example, which is the primary way people try to lose weight. When you lift weights, the opposite happens. You speed your metabolism up. You also encourage youthful levels of hormones because the hormones needed to support muscle building, more growth hormone, better insulin sensitivity, uh, better use of testosterone in men, higher testosterone levels. So you actually develop a more youthful hormone profile. So it's, it's unfortunate, especially for women, because resistance training, 
still for anybody, men or women is not considered the best exercise and the best form of exercise for longevity, leanness, and so forth. But now the studies completely support. It is not only the most afford, uh, effective form of exercise, but if it's the most effective by a long shot, when you consider you don't need to do it as much and the results are much more permanent. I mean, when you build muscle, losing it and slowing the metabolism down is a much longer process. You get muscle memory, meaning you build it back much quicker afterwards. It's the perfect form of exercise for modern life and the context and challenges of modern life. So, and again, we've really done women a disservice by promoting this myth uh, that it's just, it's going to make you bulky and it's not the way you need to work out. It's so wrong. And it's, it's, it's not just wrong. It's an anti-truth. It's the opposite of, of the truth. So if your, if your goal is to lose weight, get lean and to keep it off forever and not have to work out all the time, which that's an important piece of this, you definitely want to make resistance training the cornerstone uh, of your routine. And there's two things actually, I would love to add to that as well, which is one thing I say to women is if you're, if you find yourself getting too big, you can just stop, not stop training, but you can stop adding load. You can stop, you know, like a lot of, I think a lot of people don't understand how muscle is built. You know, like I see women going into the gym and they're, they're squatting and I, and, and so I've even trained because I, we have a, a gym here at home and sometimes friends of mine come to train and they'll say, Oh, you know, but I'll say, no, come on, we'll add, we're adding more load. You're going for another set. And they'll say, no, 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 but you know, I failed. You always say it's important to go to failure. And I'm like, you didn't fail. You struggled a little on the last rep. Like it was hard, but it, well, you didn't fail. And I say, your body hasn't built any muscle. And they're like, oh, I said, well, build muscle. I'm like, because you didn't ask it to do more than it can do. You lifted that weight easily. You didn't, it didn't have to adapt or break down or build any more muscle because you were lifting what you were capable of lifting. And in some cases I've seen women lifting, not even what they, it's four sets of 10 reps. And they go, oh, well, you know, I did, I did four sets of 10 reps. So now I should be building muscle. You you didn't, you didn't actually break down any muscle tissues. Your body had nothing to grow. So, or no reason to grow. I don't think women understand that. But then the other thing is as well, I, you know, at the minute I, I have reached a point with my body where I am super muscular. Like I have a very, very muscular back. I have really big legs. I kind of still want bigger legs. So I do train them really, really hard, but I am getting to the point now where I'm actually playing around with my back training. Like today and my back training, I train back on a Thursday or usually Wednesday. All I did was pull-ups. I did wide grip pull-ups, overhand pull-ups, reverse grip pull-ups, close grip pull-ups, because I'm really, really enjoying working on pull-ups. And so I don't feel the need to be, you know, really, really hard, heavy black pull-downs and rows and, you know, and barbell rows and whatever. I'm, I'm enjoying now just build, playing with strength, playing with calisthenics, because I don't really feel like I need a bigger back. So when you when you've reached your ideal body goal, you can stop. Just like in business, if you reach a certain point and you decide you, well, I have enough money and <laughs> I, I want to stop now. You know, you can stop. But why would you ever not work as hard as you can possibly work to get there? Why would you hold back? That's what I say to women all the time because that is a concern that women have. They're like, oh, what if I get too big? I'm like, why would you not even try? Yeah, yeah. Well, and there's another piece of that, Kim. You know, there's an interesting study that was done on training volume. And it it confirms what a lot of us who've been training for a long time have already observed, which is the amount of training volume and intensity that is required to build muscle. You need a fraction of that to maintain. And now this, they did a study where they actually, it was a really, really well-made study where they were trying to determine how much volume and training do you need to maintain what you've already built? One ninth, okay? One ninth of the volume- that you did to build is what's needed to maintain. 
Now, this is incredible for the average person. Now, for people like us who love training, I mean, it's, I guess that's cool information, but I like the process of it anyway. So I'll probably figure out something to do, something else to do. But the average person, you know, how great is that message? Once you get to a certain point, you can scale back and maintain. And what sticks around with that is that faster metabolism. Or sometimes life comes at you. You can't train as much. You miss workouts. Well, guess what? One ninth of that volume will maintain that, that level of fitness and that level of muscle and, and metabolism. Here's another piece to kind of what we're talking about. You know, you said, why wouldn't you want to work as hard as you can to get there? And I totally get that. I'm a fitness fanatic, but a lot of people are not. This was a, this was a, a, a huge, I guess, uh, this really shattered my paradigm about, I don't know, 10 years into my, my career as a trainer. I really started to realize, okay, I need to stop trying to make people fitness fanatics because they're not, most people are not going to become fitness fanatics. The most that we could hope for, for the average person, we're talking about the average person, okay? The most we could hope for is about two or three days a week of consistency, developing a good relationship to exercise where they enjoy it and they value it, but it's really just a, a part of their life that improves their life and their quality of life, right? They're not going to become fitness fanatics. So I, I, so I used to really do that, push people. No, we got to train hard. And then I realized, you know what? I'm just going to, they're going to train at their own level. We're going to keep them consistent. They're still going to get results, maybe slower, but they're still going to get some progress. They're going to work on the skill of discipline. They're going to practice the exercise. Practicing is different than training. So they learn how to do it well. They get great form, great connection. And then you know what happens over time, Kim? Every time they eventually on their own, scale the intensity and the volume. Once they reach a certain point to where this is where they want to sustain and maintain, it naturally happens. And so this whole like pushing people, I, I brought it back. People will come to me. Hey, that's fine. No problem. We, and, and here's the other thing. You start to develop a different relationship with pain, which is this is an important one. And for women, it tends to be a bit different than for men. I think women have a different relationship with um, endurance type pain where you know they have a easier time getting comfortable with enduring a long run or a hike um, whereas when it comes to lifting heavy things it might not feel as uh, either as comfortable or maybe they've been told that this is something that they shouldn't be doing or whatever so they have a different relationship with it oh my god that hurts I need to stop you also when you train yourself over time change your relationship to that type of pain and that feeling and that has a lot of carryover to the rest of your life like just in training, for example, I mean, when I work out hard, I don't, it doesn't hurt me any less than it does to a beginner. It hurts me just the same. The difference is I have a different relationship to that pain than the, than the beginner does. And you start to, again, develop that over time. One of the, my favorite pieces of feedback that I would get from female clients after training them for a few years was that they felt more secure and confident in their own bodies. And, and part of that came from being stronger and also part of that came from being, understanding their body's capabilities when they would go to do things that required physical strength. And that's, a, that's an incredible feeling. That feeling of confidence and security in your own body is really cool. So you'll see that over time as people do resistance training over time, as they start to change that relationship and start to want to see how much further they can go and how much they can push themselves. And that's, that, that, that is different from person to person, but almost every single time I've ever allowed it to happen on its own with a little bit of guidance, you'll see that progression. 
I love that. I've actually never even, I was so into what you were saying. I've never even really considered that because as a real type A, I am the kind of, yeah. you know, just pull up your big girl pants and get on with it. Like, what the fuck are you yes. whinging about? Just go and do it. Stop complaining. <laughs> you know, like my mantra for this podcast is nobody cares, work harder. You know, yes. and I like, I we have a, my team always turn up. We go training sometimes and they like all turn up and they're nobody cares, work harder t-shirts. Um, everybody loves it. Um, I always used to say, I, I want you to etch it on my gravestone, but it is, it is true that you're right. I think that it's important to work with people where they are at. But I want to give you something interesting. You may not have actually, well, two two pieces of, of data, I guess. The first one is, did you know that men, whenever they are in a, if, if men's fight or flight is triggered, and this is a physiological thing, if a man's fight or flight is triggered, and especially if he is in a, in a fight mode, so he, say he's in a fight with another man, do you know his body actually shuts off his ability to feel pain? Hmm. So when you're, if you were say protecting your, your kids or your wife, or maybe you're even just, you know, out on a Saturday night and you were threatened by somebody as you, men can actually take physical blows to the body and the body shuts off the pain receptors and they don't actually feel it, which wow. I thought was whenever I read the study um, and I, I'll, I'll find it and I'll, I'll send you the link if you're interested in reading it. I was like, wow, that's incredible that the male body probably from an evolutionary standpoint is designed to do that, you know, anthro anthropologically or whatever it is, because they're hunter gatherers. They need to be out their body as a tool. They're out, you know, hunting and gathering women. On the other hand, I think because we're so emotional and we are, we're never really taught to, um, train our emotions. I think as little boys, you know, we're taught big boys don't cry, you know, don't, you know, it's a lot of it is, you know, man up and, you know, and, and don't, don't feel your emotions. Whereas women are like, oh, you know, little girls and she cries and we give her attention. And so therefore women, I think have this real inverse relationship. I certainly see it in our programs. We sold a hundred thousand programs in the last three years. That's a, that's a lot of women <laughs> to deal with. And the yeah. biggest question we get asked is, one of the biggest questions I get asked is, Kim, do you still train when you have your period? I'm like, yeah. why would I not? And they're like, well, you know, because you're feeling, you know, maybe in pain or I'm like, girlfriend, you got to just learn <laughs> to get in the gym, whether you feel bad or you feel good. It's what you were talking about. You know, the yeah, skill well, of discipline. Well, part of that is also how as coaches we communicate. Cause that's, a, that's totally true. You'll see some men like that too. And, and by the way, when it comes to women, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, I have three kids, my, my older kids are my son's 16. And I remember years ago when he was, he was probably eight months old. I think it was about eight months old. I had him in the back seat of the car in his little, you know, car seat or whatever. And I went to my mom's house and I decided quick to get something. The car door was open and my mom came outside to see the baby. So we kind of switched positions. So I went inside and I hear this frightening, like growl scream come out of someone. And I'm like, what the, and I run out there and it was my mom with the <laughs> one of the most terrifying sounds that's ever come out of her mouth, her mouth that I've ever heard. What happened was the neighbor's dog jumped into the car. Now he's a playful dog, but he jumped into the car. This was a German shepherd. And my mom is terrified of dogs, terrified. But because my son was in there, my mom grabbed this German shepherd and threw the dog out of the car. So I think when it comes to protecting their children, I, women probably are, I wouldn't want to get between a mother and her child or my mom and her grandma or grandson, for example, it's just a funny That's story. Insane. Yes. I mean, it's a true story. It's, it was absolutely hilarious. I remember we, we tell it all the time when we all get together. So, okay. So about what you're talking about, you know, earlier you said 
there was a marketing um, it was a marketing line that you said, which was something like Trojan uh, horse tell strategy. Them what they hear. No, sell yeah, them yeah, yeah. what Mar- they want, but give them what they need. Yes. Okay. So I've I've said this is another way of saying I've said this before, where it's like uh, you make your kids pancakes and you put you 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 grind up some spinach and throw them pancakes and you. So it's like you give them the pancakes, you slip them some spinach type of deal. Okay. Yes. So, so people who say, you know, do I train when I feel this way? Like what? Now people like you and I, this, the way that we approach it, probably because we've been doing this for a while and you said type A, I'm a very similar type of person. We're like, okay, you just do it. Like, yeah, you don't feel good. Big deal. Go do it anyway. But most people, they don't want to, nec- they don't want to necessarily hear that. What they want to hear is, oh, okay, I understand how you feel and whatever. So the way I, the way I like to communicate it, and I also think this is a good long-term approach, is to listen to your body. Okay, what does that mean? My body doesn't feel good. Does that mean that I, I should not go to the gym and exercise? No. What it means is go to the gym and do the things that'll make you feel good then. So what does that mean? Well, I'm tired and I'm stiff and I'm achy. Okay, reduce your intensity, focus on mobility, um, do some full range of motion exercises with less focus on to the muscle or, man, I'm feeling really stressed out. I'm feeling very emotionally stressed out. My body's hurting. I got terrible sleep last night. Okay. Yoga, go to the gym, do a, a, a yin yoga class or lift weights in a way that makes you feel better. Now, why is this approach so effective? Well, two things. Number one, you're not ignoring how your body feels, which is fine. That's good. Actually, in some cases, that's very valuable. For people like you and I, we probably err on the side of too much, and we probably could benefit from sometimes scaling it back when we should. I know I've injured myself or you know, made myself sicker than I needed to be because I pushed a little too hard. But, now, but, but why is this valuable for, for other people? Because they develop a relationship with exercise to where the exercise, think of it this way, it's like a tool in your tool belt. And it's a tool that can change shape. And I can use this tool to improve the quality of life, regardless of what's happening in my life. So I'll give you a personal example. Years ago, somebody very close to me um, received the you know, diagnosis of terminal cancer. So this person was given a you know, few months to live, very close to me. It was devastating. They ended up living for over a year, but they did pass away. Now, during that year period of time, I wasn't working out in the gym trying to hit PRs. I wasn't building my pecs and getting sculpted and shredded. I would go to the gym to center myself, to become present, to keep myself healthy so that I could be of value and help. To, the, to my family. So that hour exercise a day, I, I didn't miss it, but it changed because it, it, imp- it was a tool that could contribute to the quality of my life. Now, this is so valuable because, I mean, if you do this right, you're going to be doing this for the rest of your life. You should never stop improving or trying to maintain good health. The, the dividends that, that you get back from that are obviously tremendous. I could list all the dividends and I don't think I need to do that. People know now. So in your life, are you going to experience periods where your body's not working for you? You get injured, you get sick, things stressful happen. You lose your job, you get divorced, someone dies, something terrible happens. Absolutely. Is, is maintaining good health going to help your ability to handle all those challenging things. Yes. 
the version of you that is most effective in life, regardless of what's happening in life, is the healthiest version of yourself. So when you develop that relationship with exercise, going back to your question, well, I'm on my period, should I work out? Well, now go to, go to the gym to make yourself feel, feel better and, and figure out what that is. And that, will, that right there is how you develop that relationship with exercise that's long-term. The same thing for nutrition, Kim. If, I, if my relationship with, with diet is get shredded, look good, you know, you're going to hit a wall at some point. At some point, you're going to get older. Your body's not going to look like it used to. You're going to develop this bad relationship with, with diet. You're eventually going to say, you know what? I just want to live my life and go off the diet. And that obviously looks oftentimes like the opposite. Well, what if I said, like, what if I said this to myself? I'm going to eat in a way to improve the quality of my life. And I mean that in the, in the truest sense. I'm going to feed myself to take care of myself like somebody I care about. Well, wow, you know what you develop with that is a sense of balance. What does that look like? Well, when I go for Christmas and I meet with my aunt, my mom, and my cousins, and my aunt makes her, her, her apple pie that she makes once a year, it's made from scratch. At that moment, how am I feeding my health? I'm enjoying this apple pie with my family, having a glass of wine, and we're connecting. Most of the time, it looks like I'm going to eat things that are healthy for my physical body, that make me feel good, that reduce inflammation, that make me feel like my performance and my, my mobility is good. But sometimes it's that glass of wine with my wife or that piece of pizza with my friends. It also doesn't look like this. Binging, eating in a way that makes me feel uncomfortable or bloated or painful. You know, that, that comes from people having such a bad relationship with eating healthy to where it's, I got to look good. I look like crap. This is the way I don't know. I need to stick to this diet to when they finally are sick of making themselves feel terrible. Like, Oh, I just want to enjoy myself. They don't have one cookie. They have 15 cookies. They don't have one slice of pie. They eat the whole pizza. And then they wonder, why did I do that? Why do I feel so terrible? I didn't even enjoy that pizza. In fact, every time I was, I wasn't even enjoying the, the, the bite that was in my mouth. I just couldn't wait to get this one this piece into my mouth. And that's what it feels like. So that's the long, that's the only long-term approach. And that's how we develop this kind of long-term success. And that's the way we need to communicate it. We have to communicate it this way to people, because if we constantly focus on motivation, look good, you got to be hot and sexy because you're fat and you're ugly and you're whatever, what we're going to keep getting is what we've been getting, which is the on the wagon, off the wagon, lose weight, gain it, feel bad about myself. And then you get this, and I'm sure you've heard this before. Oh, you're a fitness professional. Yeah, I used to work out and I used to watch my diet. But then I said, you know what? I just want to enjoy my life. And I stopped. As if, as if making yourself healthy is not enjoying your life. How is that even possible? Because of the approach, because of the root motivation. It was a punishment. It was, I don't look good. It was, I'm not adequate. I'm not sexy. This is all about me. Just, I'm ugly and I'm going to, well, of course, eventually you're going to go off that. And of course, you're going to not want to do it. And it's going to feel, like torture. In fact, you know, I remember learning this as a, as a trainer, the worst relationships with diet and exercise that you will find anywhere. And I'll make this argument all day long are people who work in the fitness industry. Yes, I agree. A, a greater percentage of eating disorders, far greater, you will find in fitness coaches, trainers, fitness influencers, fitness models, than you'll find in the average population. Just terrible. Um, they, the, this obsession with macros and I can never mix a workout and I can't enjoy my life and I can't go out with friends. And, and then these are the people communicating 
mm-hmm. these terrible messages. So it's and very important that we do it the right way. Do you think as well, though, that the problem with that, or one of the things I get all the time is because I'm Irish and because I really just don't give a shit. Honestly, I really <laughs> I don't. And so I, I am just me all the time, yes. anywhere I go. And people say to me, oh my God, like, I can't believe that you drink. I'm like, yeah, I drink. I'm Irish. Like we fucking drink, you know, it's what we do. And they're like, oh, oh. And they'll, and they assume that you're this. I remember once going for coffee with someone who was interviewing me and I ordered a coffee and I said, I'll have an oat milk cappuccino. And she brought it over and I took a spoonful of sugar out and I plunked it in my coffee and I stirred it. And she went, oh, you, you take sugar in your coffee. And I said, yes. And she said, oh, and I said, is that bad? And she said, well, it's just that, you know, you're, you're the sculpted vegan. And I was like, and does that mean I shouldn't take sugar in my coffee? Like I was confused. And then I realized that she had like this, people have this perfect view of, of me and they think I must live this perfect life, this healthy life, this fitness life, this, I never stray off track and everything's counted and managed. And I'm like, it's totally not true. But I think that, I think a lot of people do a disservice in the industry because these fitness influencers are only showing the perfect parts of their life, them working in the gym, them, you know, these perfect meals, these perfect lives, these perfect, whereas I'm like, here's me eating a big dirty bagel. It's not even a dirty bagel because I love carbs because people say to me, do you eat carbs? I'm like, I am a fucking carb. Like, how do you, you can't grow muscle with carbs. It's so important. But I think that it's more important that people show them out having a drink, partying, eating cake, you know, like it's, I think that it's, it's, you're you're so on point. And I I want to, there's one thing I want to change about what you said. That is healthy. So right. people, need, people need to understand that health is a sphere that encompasses, it encompasses, yes, eating in a way to feed in, in your, your physical body, right? Yes, that's definitely healthy. Training in a way to build muscle and keep yourself lean and mobile. Yes, that's also part of health. There's also emotional health uh, or mental health. There's spiritual health. There's uh, financial health. There's how you how you approach everything, and all of that contributes to this sphere of health. There was this interesting study that came out of Stanford years ago, where they showed that having bad relationships in your life was as bad for your health as smoking a pack of cigarettes every single day. I would right? believe it. Now you know how many fitness influencers or whatever you want to call them that I know that are so obsessed with diet and so obsessed with exercise and so obsessed with their body that they don't go to birthday parties. They don't go, they don't connect with friends. The only people they hang out with are other dysfunctional fitness professionals or fitness people. They think that they're, that they're, this is for my health, which is, I think the story that they tell themselves, but in reality, it's not, that's not what healthy is. Health is broad. It's balanced. It's missing my workout because my child's you know, recital happens to be at that time. And okay, yeah, I miss my shoulder workout, but I get to see my daughter do this recital, which is feeding a part of me that also needs to be fed and needs to be taken care of. It's, yeah, I know I'm this dinner I'm going out to with my wife doesn't fit my macros perfectly, but I'm enjoying this time I'm having with my wife and we're having a great time. Yes, I know this glass of wine isn't the kind of calories that my body necessarily wants or, or, or needs physically, but it's putting me in the moment. I'm loosening up and I'm connecting with friends. Now, of course, this can also be unhealthy, right? I could lose, I could use food or diet or, or alcohol or drugs or all these things that distract myself. And all. I get that, right? But the, but the reality is health is balanced. And I, I love that you said that because this is what I think we need to communicate. 
to people so that they understand not just that they don't set these these uh, ridiculous standards for themselves, but also so that they get they understand what the long term approach really looks like. Because right. gosh, you know, that sucks, Kim. If I'm the average person, I'm thinking to myself like, man, if I want to be healthy, I got to be like that all the time. That sucks. I love having a glass of wine with my husband at night. Like, you know, what if I go on vacation? I don't want to work out when I'm on vacation. Like that sucks. I don't care about you. Get, we have to communicate to them. Like, no, that's not, that's not what I'm, that's not what real health looks like. It's very balanced. Most of the time you are eating in a way that's healthy. Most of the time you're eating the right amount of calories. Most of the time you're getting your adequate proteins and carbs. Most of the time you're consistent with your workouts, but sometimes there's other things that are more important for your health. And this is what balance looks like. And it only comes from the right approach. It's, you know what it is? It's this, this helps. Uh, especially for people with children. I have kids, right? I love them more than anything. And I want them to be healthy and I want them to grow up and thrive and be vibrant. So if my kids came to me and said every day and said, Hey dad, can I have, can I have some cookies? Most of the time I'll probably say, no, eh, it's probably not a good idea. Why don't you have this instead? But sometimes I'll say, yes. Sometimes I'm going to say, absolutely. You can have a cookie. I'm also not going to do this. Yes, have a cookie as much as you want. Just keep <laughs> eat them as much as you want or whatever, right? So that's balance. What we don't do to ourselves as our treat ourselves like somebody we care about, as if like we were caring for our own kid. So what does this look like in the gym? Well, if I go to the gym and yesterday I ate you know, a bunch of pizza and I drank a bunch with my friends and I hate my body and I feel disgusting. And I'm going to go to the gym and I may say to myself, you know what? I'm gross and fat. I can't believe I went off my diet. I'm going to go sweat this off and beat the crap out of myself. You're, you're, you are now treating your workout like self-flagellation. You're, this is now a punishment. That isn't how we, we, we need to do it. Instead, say this to yourself. Wow, I, 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 I ate a bunch of pizza more than I probably should have. Looked like I felt like that was a bit of an unhealthy approach. I drank a little too much. I woke up, whatever. Didn't have that good of a time. I need to take care of myself in the gym. I think I'm going to go in there and kind of go easy and make myself feel good and do some stretches. Or, wow, I had a good time yesterday. Great time with my friends. That was awesome. I'm tired because I didn't get good sleep. So I think I'm going to have to reduce the intensity of my workout a little bit, but I'm going to go in there and make myself feel better. You know, Essentially, what I'm trying to communicate is it's all self-care. And who doesn't want to take care of themselves? Approach it from that angle, understand that, which by the way, takes time. And then you'll find this long-term approach, this consistency, because it becomes this amazing tool. I remember as a trainer, I rem- it took me about 10 years to really get this good, I think, as a trainer. But when, as an early trainer, I would get clients that would cancel on me and say things like, you know, Sal, my back hurts. I, I pulled it going water skiing. I think I need to cancel my session. Or you know what? Last night, my daughter was up all night. I'm really tired. I need to miss my workout. Later on, because I got better with my approach and how I train people, and I would train them much more appropriately, they would do this to me. Hey, Sal, I know my, I don't have a, a session scheduled today, but I hurt my back water skiing. Do you think I can come in so you can help me out? Or man, I, I don't feel good. I got really bad sleep. I know I don't have a workout scheduled today, but can I come in because uh, I want to feel better? That's when I really started to do a good job of training people appropriately and also teaching them how to develop that, that, that long-term sustainable approach, that long-term sustainable relationship with exercise and nutrition. 
I love that. It's almost like creating a reverse causality rather than seeing the 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 gym as a as a as you say a tool of punishment or somewhere you have to go and do it when you're feeling bad. It's like I'm feeling bad. Oh, now I can use the gym as a tool in order yes. to feel better. It's about changing the the thought object, if you like, on on what it's on what it is. Because most people do see diet and exercise as a punishment rather totally. than as a way of life. You know, it's and quite often because they do it wrong because it, they de- deprive themselves and they're starving and they have to you yeah. know. They make it hard for themselves rather than finding something they enjoy. Oh my God, I could talk to you all day. I just glanced at the time. I realized we've been talking for over an hour. So um, I don't want to keep you um, very long, but I definitely feel there's a part two in here somewhere if you're up for it at some point in the future. I'd love to, Kim. I love this. is a great conversation. I really like what you do. So anytime you want me on, I'll come on. You know, I'll I'll leave. I'll end with this. Who will travel further? The man who loves walking or the man who wants to get to the destination? So when you learn to enjoy the process, you'll never stop, right? So if I go to work to the gym and I train or I eat in a particular way because I love the way, I love the process of it. I like to eat healthy because I like the way it makes me feel. I like the way the process of eating healthy. I exercise because I like the process of exercise. I will never stop. I enjoy the journey rather than always trying to get to the destination. I love it. Ben Sweetland, I think that was his quote, life is a journey, not a, def- a destination. Or is it life? I can't remember whether it was life or not, but I love it. It's so true. And I thank you so much for finishing with that. And I also just love your approach, I have to say, before I'm going to, I want you to tell us where they can, my listeners can find you. But um, I, and I know that you're Italian, it makes sense because I find Americans to be very um, sensitive <laughs> at times. And I have a real filthy sense of humor and a real filthy mouth. And I'm just really just filthy in general. And I have to say, I love your memes. I always repost them. I'm like, got oh, this from Sal's page. I'm always like reposting your memes. But um, not, but now that you're European, that makes more sense for me. Not that I love Americans. They're like my best friends. But I do find them to be, um, they get offended very easily and they don't understand sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, you know what it is? I'm going to defend them for a second. You're right. Um, and by the way, some of our best fans come from Ireland and, and uh, just I the can UK. Imagine. Yeah, they love our sense of humor. My partners are, are are not immigrants and they have this very similar approach. What it is, is that we have a very powerful media machine here in America. It's so powerful that it reaches most of the world. And people are told what they should be offended by and what's bad. And, and then in order to seem like they're good, they have to signal to other people, like, I'm offended because I'm not that kind of person. In reality, when you really meet people and you really talk to them, most of them are not like that. And right. Okay. Think, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, and here's the other thing, look, we're, we're on media, you know, and, and social media and all that stuff. This is to all those other people out there striving to build a business through social media. Do not, do not bow to the social justice warrior cancel mob because you will never win that. Be who you are right out the gates and you'll, it'll, you'll make yourself very difficult to cancel. And so we've done that since day one. And so if you get offended from Mind Pump, it's probably because you're not familiar with us. But anybody who's listened to us from day one knows we don't care. We're going to be <laughs> honest. We're good people, but we have a good laugh. And, uh, and that's it. That's, that's, that, I think that's what it's all about. Because uh, what a weird world to live in when people are offended by something someone tweeted 10 years ago. But they're not offended that you know a professional football player beats his wife and still can play football. It's just insane to me. Yeah, it is. It is. I think that, yeah, we just need to stop being so sensitive. People just need to stop yes. being so offended. You know, like you posted something the other day that I didn't agree with and I read it and I thought, wow, I don't agree with that. And I moved on. <laughs> <laughs> I flicked on Thank to you. the next, to the next story, you know. <laughs> 
it happens. Sal, tell my listeners where um, they can find you, where is the best place to connect with you and follow you and find you and, and hunt you down on the internet since it's so damn difficult. Thank you. Know, so uh, Mind Pump is the podcast. You can find that on all uh, podcast platforms. You can find me personally on Instagram at Mind Pump Sal. And then I published a book called The Resistance Training Revolution, uh, which you can find. You uh, did. I meant to mention it. I apologize. No problem. And We're going to link in really the show notes to everything that you've said. Thank you. And it, and it does talk about the, the, the current science and the value of resistance training for health, longevity, and for fat loss. Do you have a, an online um, business or an online, do you sell anything online or? Yeah. So we sell workout programs. Um, that's one way that we monetize. We also have a big, obviously, media arm of the company. So we work with lots of partners and companies that we believe in. So we don't ever promote anything we don't believe in or use ourselves. And then we have an investment arm of the of the company, but it's mainly the the media and the, um, the the workout programs. They're called maps, and there's many of them. So different types for different people. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, I'm sure you'll have many more listeners after um, being so wonderful in this podcast because you're definitely speaking our language. Sal, thank you so much for being on here. You have been absolutely amazing. Um, I'm going to stop the recording and I forgot to tell you this in the beginning because quite often I say to people, I'm like, okay, bye. And they go, okay, bye. And then they go and I don't get a chance to actually say thank you. So I'm going to stop the recording now for the listeners, but I just want to say bye personally to you before before we finish. Okay. Thank you, Sal. Well, there you are. What do you think about Sal? Wasn't his vice just absolutely amazing? I just love the part where he talked about, you know, whenever you're feeling like you're you're not at your best, you know, don't go into the gym and be like, I'm going to crush my, my soul. I'm going to punish myself. Go in and be like, you know what? I'm just going to have fun with this today. I'm just going to, you know, do something that feels good in my body. I'm going to stretch. I'm going to lift. And I know for me, certainly, whenever I go into the gym and I don't, you know, go in with the, the, the goal of crushing everything, I just go in with a, I'm just going to have fun with this. I always end up pushing harder and faster and better and lifting more than I did before. And I'm really enjoying my training at the minute in a way that I never have before. I'm just enjoying having fun with it. So everything I'm experiencing now that I'm not competing anymore and there's no kind of pressure on me really does just back up what Sal was teaching. So I definitely hope we're going to do a part two. Um, He's invited me on his podcast actually, which is um, really kind of mind blowing. Um, So I'll definitely link to that for you guys whenever it goes live. Um, And I just want to say thank you to Sal for appearing on the podcast. I can't wait for part two. I'm excited already. Um, And I hope you guys enjoyed this. I hope you have a wonderful week. Don't forget to leave me a review wherever you're listening to this. If you want to win a Sculpted Vegan program, your name could be called out next week. Otherwise, all that is left for me to say is thank you so much for listening. I'm sorry I missed you last week. I'm so glad to be back. And I'm going to be back next week for another episode of the Kim Constable podcast. Make sure you have an awesome day, an awesome week. I love you and I appreciate every single one of you um, for listening to this podcast and tuning in every week to hear me babble on, which is what I'm doing now. So I'm going to stop and I'm going to say have an awesome rest of your day and bye for now. 